Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Convery. I am your host, Brian Convery. On today's Coffee with Convery podcast, we are continuing the series Throwback Thursday, where I bring onto the show students and young talent that I met years ago and to see where they are today. My guest today is Mary Yao. Mary is a graduate from the Ivy Business School at Western University with an honors in business administration and recently received her MBA from the University of California, Berkeley Haas School of Business. Mary and I met a few years back at IBM Canada in Global Business Services when she was one of the amazing consultants as part of the Consulting by Degrees program. Since then, Mary has gone on to perform multiple roles at Oliver Wyman in New York City to become an innovation consultant at Haas at Work at UC Berkeley Innovation Agency, and now as a product manager at Adobe in San Francisco, California. In her spare time, Mary likes to host dinner parties, meet new people, and travel around the world. All things I'm told were deeply hampered by COVID, but instead Mary has taken up snowboarding, which is quite a bit different. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm happy to be here. Well, to get us going, I wanted to ask you a few kind of get to know you questions um, and some rapid fire. So if you were to share with the audience, what is your superpower? I would say celebrating life. I, I'm so big on celebrating the moments that matter, even if at the time friends, families, partners shrug off the happy occasion or accomplishment. I feel like we're always better for it and for the moments that we remember in the long run. Amazing. What a, what a great way to live. Are you a cat or a dog person? <laughs> uh, definitely dogs and the bigger, the better. Oh yeah. Do you have a dog? No, no. I've been living in apartments in my whole life. So it's always been a dream of mine. Okay. Well, when you do, you'll have to let us know. We'll do a follow-up on uh, puppy life. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite holiday? Oh, definitely Christmas. I've, my tree's been up for the past month or so. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, best compliment you've ever gotten. Um, so you shared a bit about my background, Brian. It's funny, operating in America or corporate America, um, I'm air quoting that. I've been I've been told by many people that I'm so nice, so Canadian. Um, it's my favorite compliment, and I choose to take it as a compliment rather than a slight because I think apparently these people still want to work with me, and I think it comes from a very good place. You know what? That's a nice that's that that's a nice <laughs> thing to be called nice, right? Um, actually, and. Uh, and I would agree as well. I think um, you, you you just exude that uh, that nice, friendly person that we all want to have in our lives. So I would agree. Um, favorite smell? Mm, pina colada. Reminds me of sunnier days. Oh wow! I just I just had the rush of smell of a pina colada. Yes, and it is sunnier days. Absolutely. So okay, well. Let's jump right in. I know we were talking earlier about the podcast and honestly, Throwback Thursdays is one of my most favorite opportunities to connect and catch up with people I've met like yourself over the years. And, you know, as we think about the listeners and some of the young people that are tuning into this podcast, um, you know, struggling in the high school years of where do I go to school? What do I do? Um, what even jobs do I want to be thinking about to, you know, that post-secondary opportunity where you're you're at school, you're, you're doing your thing and you're looking for that first job to transition to the workplace. Um, can you maybe share a little bit more in depth about um, your journey in detail and your background and sort of those transitional moments and what you've learned along the way? Yeah, I'd love to. And I'd love to have a broader discussion about what all those pivot points have been. 
So to keep it relatively short, I've had four different careers, which feels like a lot, but let me tell you, it was not planned. The first one you're super familiar with because we worked together at IBM. Um, you recruited me as a consultant. I specialized in designing and building enterprise scale solutions for corporate clients. And, and to just give listeners a tangible example, that's, that was a mouthful. Projects include implementing voice recognition software for major banks in Canada. So big scale projects for big scale clients. Um, my second career pivot, or my first career pivot, I guess, to my second job is moving from Toronto, where I worked at IBM, to New York to join a management consulting firm. And that was just pivoting from more technology to more strategy. And that included different strategy engagements, flying around the US for things like that. The latter half of my time at Oliver Wyman, so this is my second career pivot into the third phase. Um, so there was tech implementation, there was strategy consulting. And I said to myself, hey, I really want to be a builder. I want to not just consult on projects, but build something from the ground up. And so at Oliver Wyman, they kindly gave me a new role, which was chief of staff of a new business unit. And that meant growing not just the product offering, selling projects and revenue work from scratch, but also building up a team and scaling them. And that had a real human operational element to it. I, I think at the end of the day, I knew my heart lied in product um, and lied in technology. And perhaps that was because of the early IBM bent. But so long story short, the fourth phase of my career, I, I wanted to work in product in Silicon Valley. And I, I believe that the fastest path in getting there was through an MBA at Berkeley. So I went to do an MBA, told the industry I'm taking myself seriously and redesigning myself. And, and thankfully they gave me a job at Adobe as a product manager. So all tangential, um, but very different. And the biggest thing I learned is you just got to lean into the excitement of the unknown. Um, one of my mentors told me, and this is one of my favorite sayings, growth is on the other side of discomfort. So to the extent that it excites you, to the extent that it gets that tingly in your feelings in your belly, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's always going to be worth it. Amazing, amazing insights and amazing um you know, career experiences you've had. And I know we were talking before the podcast. Um, I just read this article um, yesterday, actually, by a brilliant author called April Rinne, R-I-N-N-E. And she talks about the conversation from career path to career portfolio. And as you look back at some of the things you've done, um, and, and for me, this resonated so well because of doing multiple things with multiple organizations and, and multiple I would say pathing, but actually now portfolio. Um, your your experience actually is is tremendous in in supporting that concept. And although similar, each of these opportunities has been different. Correct? Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. I there is another. <laughs> I love that we're just quoting things and people back and forth. Um, <laughs> I can't remember who said this originally, but it's something along the lines of success is where opportunity meets hard work. And so I think you don't know where the opportunity doors will be and how they'll open. But if you put in the work, um, when they do come along, you'll be in the right position to open it. And that's, I think, how those portfolio opportunities have manifested for me. There's no way when we met, when I just graduated from university, that I could have told you that in three years, I'll do this. And in five years, I'll do that. Or in 10 years, I'll do this. But um, I think there's something to be said about anticipating that you'll have a portfolio and just trusting the process along the way that those different doors will be there at the right opportune time. 
I really love that because I think sometimes we over rotate on programming our experiences and I can't tell you every single day I get asked about students saying, oh, I wish I had a job in my career path. And I'm like, well, what, what actually is that? Like, <laughs> because does that really exist anymore? Yes, probably if you do the linear path from, you know, I'll just use consulting as an example, junior consultant up to like executive in a climbing the ladder perspective, but how much more interesting to do what you've done and what we've done collectively in our in our careers and experience life in a different way. So thank you for tying that out and, and sharing that and those quotes. It's really, really helpful for for the conversation, but also for the audience. I wonder if I could ask you one other quick question. As, as I was telling you earlier, I was speaking um, to a student who recently did, you know, select their college and are in their first year. But they said they really struggled in their high school years trying to figure out what to do and didn't know who to talk to, didn't even know what jobs to think about. And but first on the horizon was, you know, do I go and just start touring colleges and universities? Could you maybe share a little bit just your own lived experience of how you decided like where to go to school and what were the influences for you to kind of think through that? Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Of course. I. Looking back at that time, now I can say it with more analysis, perhaps, but yeah. in the in the time, it was just a mad scramble, or it felt like a mad scramble. But I think the retroactive analysis on that is you're getting pressed from both sides. As in, one, you know part of that growing phase is just exploration. So you try to cut yourself some grace, some leniency, and know that that's part of the process. But on the other side, you're feeling squeezed because you are expected to test out these hypotheses. Where do I want to live? Which school do I want to be at? What profession do I want to pursue? Um, so it's kind of like you're trying to balance both tensions and trying to just work out each hypothesis. And it's, I think what's tricky is, I, I'm not saying I did this perfectly, but I tried to put all the schools on the list of where I wanted to live, do they have a good enough program across the board um, based on all the different careers I could pursue? Like, you, it can't get to the fine detail of this exact career, career path or academic path. Um, and at the end of the day, and I think this is the reality, you just apply to those schools and see what happens. And let me tell you, I didn't get into some of my first choices, and that's okay. But that, that's part of the process. It's like you're trying to balance both competing pressures from both sides to explore, to hone in. And then you kind of throw your hat in different rings and based on what comes back. 1 of the, one of the options will just um, bubble to the surface as the most opportune 1, and that's kind of how life works. And that's definitely how it worked for me for school, but also a lot of other job opportunities where you have a good 3 to 4 hypothesis. You want to test out and something will materialize more than others. I really like that a lot because I think what you're sharing too is be open to the adventure and exploring and and just and, and going with it, right? And I think sometimes, um, especially some young people I talk to today are so extremely stressed out about, you know, what if I don't get into that school or what if I pick the wrong program or what if, and, and at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think there's a wrong choice. I think it's really about those fundamental learning moments and lived experiences that you know, make you who you are. And those are part of your growth mindset and part of learning. So mm -hmm. thank you for tapping into that a bit. Cause like I said, I, I literally had a call about this this morning and I 
I think it's really helpful for you to to share like it is an exploration and it is an opportunity to test things out. Oh, it's uh-huh. it's funny. What, um, upon hearing you say that, so I am also Brian. I'm a retroactive justifier. <laughs> I I don't know if that's just part of my personality or if that's how life should be. But I'm always like, hey, if that didn't happen, if I didn't get into my number three school versus number one school, then this wouldn't have happened, which wouldn't have triggered that, which wouldn't have brought me in the journey I am today, and most importantly, probably would not have left me with the friends and friends who I call family that I have today. And so it's very hard for me to, like you said, there's no wrong path. And I, I have a feeling that almost everyone is a retroactive justifier because I don't think they could part with all the amazing memories and people that they've met along the way. I, you know, that retroactive justifier now, I'm, I'm, I just jotted that down because I think has so much meaning to it and you're right like it's almost like if this didn't happen i don't imagine what who i would be so mm-hmm. well thank you again for sharing that you know thinking about your school experience one of the things and maybe being another uh rectifying justifier here <laughs> is thinking about formalized education and you know um what would as you think about that opportunity or when you were in school is there some things that you think you learned that maybe could have been talked about or taught in school that maybe isn't? This question actually came up, but in a slightly different way. There are some students at Western University at the Ivy School of Business that you just mentioned who, while they're still in school, ask me, oh, you know, what's the one course that's most valuable to you in the working force now? Um, And the funny yet sad thing is the, the course that's most relevant in school that's most applicable in the workforce. Um, I believe it's something called managing people or organization and people. Mm-hmm. When you're uh, in your when you're 19, 20, 21, you don't take it seriously because the HR concepts of people management are so vague, so elusive. Like, how do you wrap your head around some of those thorny topics? But I think in the real world, you realize that hey, work is relatively quote unquote easy. People are hard. There's no math, no coding or analytical problem that is insurmountable, but making people feel heard, valued, driving others towards consensus. That's the real tough parts of the job. And I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I wish we had more deep dives or roundtable discussions on topics that matter. So mm-hmm. that while in school, students can flex their viewpoint on what they think about these hairy problems and simulate what they would do themselves in those situations rather than having to face it first time in the workforce. That that is an amazing wow. That is one of the first times I've heard something along those lines on this podcast, and I think it's an amazing ad because you're right. It's with the human skills, and then even you know exercising those with ethics and other things that you could add into that. that you know that experience. Um, hey, maybe we should go. Maybe we should go teach together this course somewhere <laughs> on the side, or maybe you should. I mean, I honestly know it, it's such a valuable atom in the conversation because it's such the part, like you said, I mean, the, the work is relatively easy, but the people part is hard. And if you get it wrong mm-hmm. on the people side, you, it's really even tough to be a leader with people, let alone manage them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's also so personal, too, because it shapes who you view yourself as a person and what kind of person or leader you want to be. Yeah, 100 um, percent. I'm reading a book now called My Best Mistake, Epic Fails and Silver Linings by Terry O'Reilly. And in his book, 
he says people always make mistakes you know when you feel like you may have lost your credibility your livelihood or even your sanity it might be destiny preparing you for what you've asked for all along he says remember to ask yourself one important question what is the hidden gift could you share you know with the listeners maybe a mistake or something that you did that um that there was a gift that you experienced and what you maybe learned from that experience no that that's such a good question i i would say my experience it's less of a singular mistake that i've made and more of a period of time when i made a lot of mistakes so when i moved to new york after toronto to work at the management consulting company oliver wyman it could not have been more small fish big pond it, it, when I first started, it felt like I was doing everything wrong from the way I dressed to the way I wrote emails to the way I carried myself in client presentations. And there's a fine line between faking it until you make it and asking for help. And I'm so glad I did the latter. When I felt like I was making all those quote unquote mistakes and, you know, they were mistakes. They, I got facts wrong or I delivered something incorrectly. I took a hard look at myself in the mirror. Um, I sat my manager down at the time and said, hey, if you mentor me, I will listen and I will put in the work. And so, yes, he said, yes, the learning curve was tremendous, but it turned out to be one of our favorite projects looking back. And I developed a mentor and friend for life, and that was the hidden gift. But the bigger gift I think that I gave myself was this learning, which was born out of humility and self-reflection. And even today, when times get tough, I ask my ego to take the back seat. And I know that the gift that's waiting for me on, on the other side will come. It's just, if you're more self-aware and you involve others in the process, you end up learning so much more than just trying to keep your head down and just uh, forcing yourself through that period of time. What another great lesson, you know, humility and self-reflection is such an important thing to do. And I think, you know, sharing your experience there. And I love the idea too, that you said it was, you know, really a period of time. and. Um, you know, sometimes now it's very interesting. We recently had done a discussion um, around imposter syndrome um, that I had helped uh, with my team to put together. And it was amazing the amount of people that signed up to come hear this expert speak about imposter syndrome and the idea that, um, you know, how we don't feel we're good enough or we might not know or we don't, why did I get picked for this role? Or, and I, I, I have to think about what you're sharing there too, as maybe some of that, you know, kind of feeding into the machine, into your mindset, into other things in that experience. Um, and the one person I talked to recently that an executive shared with me that imposter syndrome is really the learning aspect of the job that you're doing. So like this opportunity to go to New York and work with Oliver Weinman, like you wouldn't have taken that if you knew how to do the job. 150% weren't going to learn anything new and just kind of go through the motions or mm. if you did, it probably wouldn't be all that exciting. So when you're thinking about the idea of even that imposter syndrome and being the learning, um, it's actually given me the ability to share that like today with you and, and the audience, because it also makes you feel like, oh, wait, then that, that isn't such a bad thing. <laughs> learning is good. Right? So, um, did you feel like there was some of that? also involved with second guessing yourself and kind of thinking um, that you maybe weren't good enough? Oh, for sure. And I love that reframe. If I didn't think I got anything out of the job, there would be no imposter syndrome. There'd be no growth. Um, so I absolutely love that. 
I actually, the funny story, Brian, is I didn't know it was called imposter syndrome. Me either. Self-diagnosed, <laughs> well, not self-diagnosed, diagnosed by my HR partner when I shared how I was feeling. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, it's like water here in New York. Everyone has it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, everyone experiences it. I keep telling everyone, like, when do you not have a learning in front of you and some new opportunity? And when do you not look in the mirror and say, why am I here? Oh my gosh, I can't do this. I, I can tell you multiple of times I've done that. And it, it, it's part of life, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I, you know, I, and maybe I didn't realize I hit on this topic, but I don't think imposter syndrome is helped by everyone pretending to fake it till they make it. I think there is a time and place for that. Um, people are naturally perhaps more self-conscious than they need to be. If you're a new grad coming from a great school, which is quite frankly, any Canadian school, like you have nothing to be self-conscious about. So there is a degree of faking it till you make it when you first exit out of school that, you, hey, you should be proud of what you've done. But I think where it's a fine line because sometimes it creates this environment where people are trying to give off the illusion that they have it all together. That's just not how human beings are. So it's such an interesting, I think, balance that everyone, myself included, is trying to figure out day after day. I and I think it is a good way to reframe because especially now with so much more talked about mental well-being and so much talked about, um, you know, you know, this expression of being your authentic self and, and then you get to work and you're like, can I be that? Should I do that? You know, it's, uh, it's a whole interesting phenomena. And I think to your point, it's, um, you know, if you've got the building blocks, everybody here, yourself, me, people I'm listening, we all have our own individual lived experiences and that's what makes us different. Mm -hmm. And that's actually your strength. And so when you bring that to the table, um, if you ignite that, people are gonna be like, wow, look at Mary, she's got this great thought process that I never would have thought of, right? And yeah. it's, uh, you know, otherwise you might be playing to the job or playing, I get this a lot in recruiting, mm -hmm. people play to the job description and I'm like, no, let's, Rip that out a minute. Don't don't repeat the job description. Tell me who you are. What are your values? What are your skills? What do you like to do? And that's really where you find out who the person is and what what is the difference, which will bring diversity of thought to the table as well. So really, really interesting conversation with you. Thank you for diving deeper into that. No, thank you. So what makes you happy? What gives you deep enjoyment and satisfaction? I think being with the people I love will always be my number one answer. And I know we've been talking about work, but I don't think that changes between personal life or for work, because I think as we've discussed earlier, if you work with people for years, coworkers become friends and friends become family. Um, I have another motto, which I live by, which is 90% of it of life is just showing up. And that applies again for personal life or work. So maintaining the strength of bonds in my life with my friends and family, especially since I have moved around quite a bit, that's mm -hmm. most important to me. So what makes me happy is being with those who matter to me during moments that matter. And that gives me deep enjoyment and showing up for them in a way that elevates our experience together and deepens our relationship. That's what gives me ultimate life satisfaction. Amazing. And it's such right back to the core of you know, what makes you you, right? And and what's important. And and I agree with you, the crossover between work and life and friends and family and coworkers. Um, I mean, not everyone's gonna be your friend at work, but there you can make some really deep, meaningful relationships and 
I always look fondly back on, that's why I love this throwback Thursday of your class and cohort at IBM. And I just, I look at where you all are and what you're doing and I'm, it makes me like a proud parent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we love you for it too. And you're so right. Like I would not say the relationships I've had later on in life in different jobs have been the same as my early ones at IBM, but they're, they're, um, they're so sweet. Uh, how do I explain it? Sometimes people you meet, they see you at your most vulnerable in ways that your actual friends or family members will never see you. So I think yeah. even if you're not at that friend stage with coworkers, there's still something to treasure in those relationships because it's still so meaningful and on a personal slash professional level. 100% and sharing both of those together, I think is so important because I see the flip side of, you know, people trying to be two different people at work and at home and it's just exhausting and I don't know why anyone would ever do that. Um, but I, I guess there's reasons people do, but um, mm -hmm. agree 100% with what you said. Can I ask you, I want to, I'm sorry to throw a, like a yeah. another question here, but it made me think, you know, one of the other conversations and listeners to these podcasts are organizations and people looking to hire students. Um, I've had a couple of career services folks that share this with, with others, but um, I've been recently talking and with some medium sized companies and other companies that have been tapping into my expertise around why should I hire a student and. You know, for me, it's obvious because I've been doing this for well, longer than I want to say, um, but I, in a positive way. <laughs> uh, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts because, you know, you, you know, you've got your first opportunity when we worked together, and you've gone on, and you've probably seen interns come and go. But why would an organization want to hire a student from your point of view? Oh man, that. Uh... There is, there are so many reasons, but let me just kind of funnel my thoughts into two ways. <clears throat> One is there's a very tactical, tangible reason, which is these individuals who just came from leading universities, they have the academia of what's latest and greatest in the industry. And they're pulled in that ecosystem where guest speakers or industry professionals feed these individuals brains and they're leaving an environment just full of knowledge, full of relevant industry or across industry for that matter, that and they can apply that knowledge to whatever um, company they could they could provide value at. And I think that's a very tactical answer. Um, the more important reason in my mind is they bring such energy that just revitalizes any organization. I remember our class when we first started at IBM. There was this collective aura of just put me in coach. Like we are so ready to prove ourselves in this world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we don't have all the professional toolkits um, to, to do what we're asked to do, but I, I don't think that energy is, could, is, is such a rare thing to find in the industry these days. And I think you get that when you switch jobs, when you've moved to a new city, when you switch professions or um, skill sets, but that new graduate energy I think is unbeat. hundred percent. And I mean, obviously, you know, you hear things, you know, marketed youth is our future succession planning, all the things that. That we all need to think about, but I, I love what you shared, because I think that's. Honestly, why I've stayed in early talent and working with young people, because it keeps me young at heart, but it also keeps me informed of. 
new ideas and new ways. And, you know, I think maybe anyone listening to this podcast may also pick up like, go for a chat with a coffee, go on a coffee chat with a student and, you know, listen to what they're saying. And it's a two way street, like you can learn just as much. Um, And I even have mentors that are, you know, you know, providing mentorship, if you will, or advice or thoughts. And um, I often reach right back out to students to say, what do you think about this idea? Or what do you think about the future of work? And what do you, you know, and that's where those conversations, that's where it matters. Um, we're, We're all in this together. For sure, for sure. And Brian, so I didn't mention this, but there is a feedback loop to the broader organization. The people who just joined remind you of why you got into this business in the first place, the company's value proposition, why they even chose to join. And then honestly, sometimes in teams, they lift the morale of those who are too deep in the weeds of a problem space and maybe have not seen the forest from the trees or have lost optimism in the opportunity space. And so I think that feed, it's not just raw energy that you know makes it a happier place to be, but I think there's a real tactical and tangible benefit that comes from re-injecting that new point of view. Uh, absolutely, thank you. That's another great add on that one too. Um, wow, I could honestly selfishly sit here and talk to you for hours, and I know um, we've had you know such a great time together this morning talking through and sharing some of your, you know, intimate stories around your journey and what you've done. And, and, you know, congratulations to everything that you've accomplished. And um, it's really great to catch up with you today. But before we wrap, I just wanted to know if there was anything that um, you wanted to leave maybe the listeners with um, regarding some of the content and great ideas and advice that you've shared. Yeah, I think in in knowing your audience and everything we talked about today and how we talked so much about our history together, the one thing I'd love to leave off with is I love the story of you and I, Brian, as in you were the first person who recruited me for my very first job out of university. And look at us now. Again, I don't want to say how many years later, but many, many years later. (laughs) Yeah. And life is just a sequence of pseudo random events shaped by those influential around you. And had it not been for you, I would not be on the path that I am today. It's one of the domino effects that opens those doors to create those portfolio of careers. And so I'm I'm just very happy where I am now. And again, being a retroactive justifier, you showed me the ropes early on to then spur things down the road. And I thank you for my growth. And the the lesson here for maybe the viewers is just embrace everyone who comes your way into your life because they're meant to play a role in shaping your own journey. That is fantastic. And I am, if we were in a coffee shop, I am grinning ear to ear. I'm just so happy to, to, to see you virtually today and to talk and, and Mary, just congratulations for everything you've been doing and, and especially for being a, such an engaging guest on the throwback Thursday series. I knew this would be a great conversation and, um, and, uh, it's been really great catching up with you. No, no, thank you for your time today and for continuing to be a leadership figure in not just mine, but many others' lives as well. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, I I really appreciate that. Uh, For the listeners, if you liked what you heard today, please share this podcast with your network. This has been Coffee with Convery, and until next time, please stay well.